Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. You're listening to a podcast from the South China Morning Post. What started out as a five-day lockdown in China's megacity of Shanghai has now continued into its second week. But the reality is Shanghai has been enrolling lockdowns since the start of March, as authorities attempt to test 25 million people for COVID. The good news is, yesterday authorities announced a partial easing of lockdown controls in Shanghai. It's the first time a city lockdown in China has been eased before all cases of COVID were identified and brought under control. The bad news is 25 million people still don't know when this lockdown finishes and are still trying to get access to food deliveries and competing against each other on delivery apps to get their orders in. China's economic and manufacturing powerhouse is still crippled and all eyes are on the Shanghai port and whether it can remain operating. Meanwhile, COVID infections have been found in 29 provinces and municipalities elsewhere in mainland China. This is a major turning point for China and its zero COVID strategy. Hello and welcome to the Inside China podcast. My name is Holly Chick. I'm a reporter on the China desk for the South China Morning Post here in Hong Kong. And in this episode, we're headed back to Shanghai to find out what's happening, how people are getting by, and how Shanghai's pain will soon be felt worldwide. You're going to hear from my colleagues, Thomas Yao and Tracy Chu, reporting from their locations in the Pusi district of Shanghai, which remains under lockdown. And you're going to hear from Richard Brubaker, an expert on sustainability and supply chains, who has been working in Shanghai for the past 20 years. He's got some deep insights into how Shanghai's supply chain problem will soon become the world's problem. And also how the official response to Shanghai's COVID outbreak is influencing the nation's zero COVID strategy. Thomas Yao, two weeks ago, you were on this podcast talking about the preparations for a five-day lockdown on the western side of Shanghai. It's known as the Pushi District. How are things working out? Uh, it's been two weeks and I'm still in lockdown. Are you allowed to get outside? Are you short of food? Tell us how many times have you been tested in how many days in just two weeks, right? I think I've been tested for uh, at least four times in two weeks. Uh, they want to tell us, test us for three consecutive days, but then they call it off today for whatever reasons. So on your Twitter account, you've been detailing the kind of things that you've been witnessing personally. Can you tell us about this morning and how you ended up trading instant noodle for some toothpaste? Actually, I still have plenty of food, but uh, in the neighborhood uh, WeChat group, uh, we there are a lot of people asking for toothpaste. And I happen to have... Uh, six tubes of toothpaste lying around. 
So I offered to say, hey, I have one more to spare. And the lady said, well, I can give you a, a box of instant noodle uh, for that. So that's how it happened. I also traded a couple of garlic uh, with a bag of uh, green vegetables a couple of days ago. How serious is the food shortage overall in Shanghai? I think the majority of people is not like starving to death, but it's just Im- nearly impossible to replenish perishable food items like green, re- green leaf vegetables, fresh meats uh, through delivery apps. Because either their delivery workers are in lockdown themselves or Omicron just locked down their entire logistics hub. So we've been relying on directly contact uh, wholesalers to buy like 30 cases of uh, spams or uh, 30 cases of milk at the same time. So that's the only way that you can uh, get food replenished these days in Shanghai. And some old people who don't know how to use these uh, apps or some just don't know what internet is at all, they they are the ones who are seriously affected by uh, the current situation. And those are the people who have some really serious food shortage issues. We've been seeing some very dramatic scenes captured on video posted to YouTube and Twitter. There were people screaming from their apartments, drones flying overhead, telling people to control their souls, their desire for freedom. There were even some suggestions of food riots in some places. What kind of things are you seeing on social media right now? I think the drone thing is probably on the level. They're probably real because in this crisis, we can see the Chinese police around uh, different parts of China, they have been deploying drones to either broadcast statements from the government or, like you said, warn people not to gather. Uh, In terms of food riots, uh, I think the Shanghai police issued a statement saying that that is not true, uh, that didn't happen in Shanghai, but they didn't deny that the video is false. But there are indeed uh, several uh, residential blocks in, I think one of them is in Songjiang district of, of Shanghai. The residents did gather in their garden and chanted, we want food, we want supplies. And that's, that's real. And I think the, uh, the party secretary of Shanghai, Li Chang, he visited uh, a residential area in Pudong. And he is a, it, it's really aware uh, for Chinese officials to be face-to-face with residents in an impromptu, unorchestrated visit. But he did, and just residents just gathered in front of him saying that we don't have any supplies and some curse, you know. Is, uh, so food shortage, those things, they are real. Food riots in Shanghai, I'm not so sure. What about in your own neighborhood? What's the mood like and what are people talking about in their WeChat groups? Uh, I think the mood remains somewhat anxious. There's fear. Uh, but there are also people who are actively trying to help each other. There are two kinds of groups that in the neighborhood. There's the the supplies group. Uh, this more upbeat, just that I think maybe it's a group that's catered to helping people. So the mood is much more supportive. But then there's also the group of individual buildings, and it almost becomes like a witch hunt. Because they keep blasting the neighborhood committee workers saying that, you know, we know there's positive cases in our building. 
have we got rid of them? Have we have we sent them away? And some are asking, you know, some are telling the neighborhood committee worker, you know, there's this old couple who has not been doing their PCR test. You know, uh, can we seal their doors? Can we cut off their supplies? And it's much more hysterical uh, in those groups. So there is this increasing anger being directed at neighborhood committees. These committees seems to be taking the brunt of both the anger from residents and also the pressure of being frontline workers enforcing lockdowns. Can you explain a bit more about this? The neighborhood committee in China is not like the neighborhood committee in the U.S., in Europe, or even in Hong Kong. There's celebrated workers who live inside the residential block. Technically, they are a civil organization. They are not a government body, but they are under the leadership of the uh, street-level administration of the government. In normal days, you're supposed to be a bunch of half-retired aunties who just you know, being really relaxed and go home at five, take care of the kids, maybe organize some uh, party for the seniors. But nowadays, in my neighborhood, for example, I guess there's not, the last time I visited their office, I think there's less than 20 of them. And I think there's over a thousand residents in my neighborhood. And right now, they are the ones who are responsible for organizing mass PCR tests. They're the ones who are responsible for taking care of the government aid package. And on top of that, if you listen to the Shanghai uh, government's press conference, whenever the reporter asked uh, the officials, you know, how are we going to ensure diabetic patients or patients who require dialysis uh, to get their treatment, uh, where they can they direct their inquiries to, and the officials are always under, well, they can talk to their respective neighborhood committee workers. All the questions, all the solutions will be directed to the neighborhood committee workers. And so they are really stressed and they're really exhausted. The neighborhood committee worker who is responsible for my own building and three other buildings at the same time are being verbally abused and by a lot of people in the WeChat group. And I think she posted on her WeChat status that she she actually really want to be tested positive of COVID-19 because that means she can be sent to uh, hospitals and don't have to deal with this mess. On the Chinese web space, there's definitely some visible signs of anger directed against this type of organizations. Is there any sign of this anger decreasing? I don't think so. Uh, I think there are more people starting to understand how overstretched that these uh, committees were. I guess more understanding is good. It's been two weeks now. And is there any timeline for when Shanghai will come out of this lockdown or have the restrictions lifted? Uh, I think the latest news is that they, uh, they divided the whole city into three areas. There's the uh, preventive area, there is the controlled area, and there is the lockdown area. And I'm currently in the lockdown area because there is a positive case in my apartment complex. And for me, I will enjoy 14 more days of lockdown. So if you are in the preventive area, then you're allowed, technically you're allowed to venture outside. 
but I think a lot of the the neighborhood committee uh, in these areas actually try to persuade uh, their residents of from going outside because if you got positive cases in your apartment complex again, you got downgraded to uh, a lockdown area, and there's 14 more days for you. So, and I don't think officially there's a timeline for when Shanghai's lockdown will be completely lifted. Thomas, you've described the pressure on these neighborhood committees, and apparently there's going to be a TV show to help calm Shanghai people down. What is it all about? I think it's one of those uh, local TV stations who want to put up a show for the Shanghai people. Basically, you know, the the songs are all about praising the medical workers and Shanghai citizens, but then it's met with like huge outpour of anger by I think almost everyone in Shanghai. Uh, I think one comment I read in in the forum is that oh, it's like putting on a rave party on someone's tombstone. Yeah, so. <laughs> There's the anger. Thomas, will follow your reports on scmp.com. Please look after yourself and your cats. Okay, you guys too. Take care. Tracy Chu is my colleague based in Shanghai, also in Pusi District, like Thomas Yao, reporting on technology and tech-related issues. Tracy, we've been hearing a lot about the food supply crisis in Shanghai, and you got hold of a leaked. Chat record from Xu Lei, the new chief executive of e-commerce giant JD.com, where he was talking about the problems of supplying food to Shanghai. Can you tell us more about it? Yes. So the food delivery system is under huge pressure in Shanghai. There are a lot of people finding it very hard to get food. And Xu Lei's leak check record basically is reviewing why this is happening. He said that if one key point in the supply chain is not working, then it means a total collapse, with merchandise being left in the warehouse and green vegetables in the soil. The supply chain is still very much under disruption, so everyone was rushing to JD.com over the weekend, including myself. And I was quite late, so I only bought some tissues, and they promised a delivery time sometime this week. But then the problem occurred because they keep postponing the delivery time. When I open the app today, it shows the estimate delivery time late this month. So it's like after 12 days. That sparks a lot of criticisms because people are very disappointed. You guys offer some hope over the weekend and then it claps as well. Let me just do a recap. You ordered something last weekend and thought it's going to arrive soon. But now it's going to be later this month. Tracy, how are you doing with food? Um, I'm doing fine with food. I grabbed my cloud to and went to my uncle's place before the day before lockdown. So that is sort of like the best decision I've ever made. Because if I'm living with myself alone for nearly a month, I feel like that is going to be a lot of frustrations and anxieties. So we are mostly relying on group buying and we also stock many foods. So, so far, so good. The reports and social media posts that we saw from Shanghai gave us a real sense of crisis, both in people unable to get food delivered and no timeline on when the lockdown might end. How have these e-commerce companies responded over the past few days? Yeah, I feel like um, the e-commerce companies are trying their best to get the solutions, but it is very hard because there are 25 million residents confined to home. 
and you can't really get you know uh, ten thousand couriers on the street and to support the operation of such a huge city. So Meituan, Lelema, JD.com, they've all joined the daily morning conference organized by the Shanghai local government since last week. They've also uh, talked about their efforts and measures. But so far, I would say that the situation is probably getting some sort of better, but it's still very hard to bring the normal market order back to life. People are still relying on their own measures to getting food. And the express delivery in Shanghai is basically out of service. It's also very hard for you to place an order on those fresh food apps and really get them delivered. Can we talk about what you're seeing on Chinese social media? Despite the censorship, there's some very graphic videos being posted from WeChat and Weibo onto Twitter. How have the authorities responded? Shanghai residents are, you know, very good at using social media. And we don't have food, and then we let the whole world know that we don't have food. You guys got to solve the problem. Most of time, I would say that China's internet users, they're sort of avoiding discussing government policies in public. But now the situation is getting worse, so they're using social media. I remember there was a post about the desperation of not getting enough food. It went viral. He basically detailed the desperation of not getting enough food. Um, so the fact is not you are really you know starving, but if you if you don't have enough food for the next few days and you you cannot get access to for more food, you will be desperated. You feel like, okay, am I going to die? You will get these kind of frustrations and anxieties. And he basically detailed these kind of anxieties. Plus, you are living in a global financial hub. You are living in the best city in in China, and you have these kind of desperations. So um, internet users, they are using social media to tell the world that okay, we have a lot of problems here. So have these authorities stepped up control over the internet? And what did they say to to people talking on social media? Yeah. So the government they published announcement last week saying that some people they're making up, publishing and spreading rumors related to their measures to contain the outbreak. And they kindly remind everyone to obey law and regulations online. But because, you know, during this um, special period, there were a lot of panic and there were a lot of frustrations. And that's how fake news got spread. Last week, we saw reports of a rumor that armed police are going to take over Shanghai. Are the rumors heating up or are people calming down? Um, From my personal experience, I feel like it's cooling down a bit after those government uh, announcement. I feel like before I received, you know, massive message every day on different WeChat groups saying that how the government is going to contain the outbreak. And there are so much information that I could not verify as a journalist. So now recently, you know, I didn't see those messages again. So I feel like it probably helps. But it depends because you have to really make the situation becomes better and people are not panicked. And then fake news probably might, you know, really go away. Tracy, please stay safe and all the best getting your food delivered. Thank you. Thanks for having me. If you were following the Inside China podcast three years ago, you would have heard from this person based in Shanghai. 
My name is uh, Rich Brubaker. I'm the founder and managing director of Collector Responsibility, as well as the chair of the AmCham Sustainability and Corporate Responsibility Committee in Shanghai. Richard came to our attention because he and his team had completed a brilliant research project tracing the supply chains and delivery routes of every single piece of food, cardboard, and plastic going into and out of people's home in Shanghai, and how those leftovers and rubbish were being recycled or disposed. So, Richard, it's been just over three years since you mapped Shanghai's domestic supply chains. What have、mm. you observed about these supply chains? How have they been disrupted by a megacity lockdown? Well, I think this has been perhaps the story,、uh, at least the ones that you've been hearing the most about. I mean, obviously, we're in a lockdown, and that has its own implications on the people. But the biggest challenge has just been the delivery of services. Primarily food delivery、uh, within the city limits itself, and so a lot of the anxiety has just been around trying to get the supply chain to work in a way that not only brings food to the city, but then also distributes it within the compounds. Because most of the systems, most of the logistics that we had relied upon, particularly over the last five years as e-commerce took over, these systems really broke down. They were taken over. They were moved from retail to wholesale, and in many ways, that has been the challenge.、Um, More practically, one of the biggest challenges I've been hearing a lot about is not within the city, but getting food to the city from the farms into here. And one of the big challenges that we've been hearing more about is the fact that the drivers now need to one test before they come into the city, but also two along the way, a lot of the exits, a lot of the refueling points, a lot of the places that you would enter the Shanghai city have been closed. So there's just a lot of rewiring that needs to happen, a lot of adjustment. But the good news is that things are starting to rebalance. Actually, in the last three or four days, I'd say a lot of the anxiety in my area of Shanghai has been lessened, if not relieved, for most people who are, you know, have found their way into group buying, have found their ways into which restaurants are open, which ones can deliver at which times, and so everyone's kind of balancing things out. At the same time, the government's logistics has. You know, kicked in over the last few days, and so the street committees, which are kind of like your local neighborhood government bureau, they started a mini app where you could then go and order, you know, a handful of different things, like a box of vegetables, a meat set, a you know, a mix of different things, and those have started to arrive and really supplement a lot of the stores that people had,、uh, because as much as the logistics may have struggled, the other thing that struggled was the fact that people really just weren't that prepared to go beyond. Five, six, ten days of this, and that's where they didn't necessarily have a problem, but they were certainly super anxious. And you can imagine if you have small children at home and only three days of food, you know, it just creates a lot of anxiety. But I think we're starting to see where some of that is subsiding now, as the logistics infrastructure、um, kicks in, finds efficiency, finds the right paths and entry points into Shanghai, and all the all the drivers know where to get their tests before they try and come in. Back in 2019, you told us about how Shanghai's experience with recycling was going to affect、mm. the policy decisions for other megacities, not just in China,、Certainly. but also across Asia. What things、yeah. do you think are important for China to learn from Shanghai's experience with zero COVID and lockdown? Well, that's a very interesting question, and the way that I've been actually viewing the majority of the systems and the process changes that I've been seeing here in the city around logistics, around delivery, around testing. I mean, even testing is just a big logistics process at the end of the day. My general feeling has been for a large part of this time, what they're doing is actually studying the systems, where they're failing, where efficiencies can be made, what needs to happen so that 
China can transition with the least amount of pain possible through the Ami variant or whatever variant will lead to China's transition through COVID because they've really focused on the zero lockdown and kind of keeping, you know, the, the virus contained really at the community, if not the house level. Well, 25,000 cases a day makes that very difficult. Well, you're already starting to see other cities around China experience the same thing. So whatever logistics challenges and the lessons they've learned from them, they need to immediately adapt those to whatever city happens. But also considering that with each city that goes down, the, the complexity grows because the, the the highway system, the provincial you know processes, all these things where this is a very interconnected country, as you start to break those nodes, it just adds another layer of exponential difficulty. And so I think what they're trying to really do now is figure out where do things happen at the city level, what they need to plan at the national level, so that as these cities go through their own challenges, be it Chengdu, Beijing, uh, Shenzhen, Guangzhou, uh, Ningbo, Hangzhou, Wenzhou, we're seeing all these cities going through full or partial lockdowns right now. They have to figure out how they're going to deliver food, healthcare, daily necessities to all of these cities when they're all experiencing these full or partial lockdowns. So there's a lot of lessons to be learned. And I guess core to that is just going to be the, the regulations or the policies around how trucks move through the provinces, move through the cities, the most efficient path possible. Also making sure the right goods are being delivered at the right time and making sure that, you know, if you're a truck driver coming to Shanghai, that to leave Shanghai, you don't have to quarantine for seven days because any of those things and, you know, any of those imbalances, any of those restrictions just naturally create another constraint. Uh, making sure that drivers know where the testing is, knowing where they can rest in between shifts, knowing that the factories or the processing plants are open or how their quarantine process is going. Like there's a lot of information that needs to flow through here. But then just in general, making sure that trucks can cross boundaries would be a really big addition. Inside the city, I think that gets down to how do you delegate within your districts with at the street level, the logistics process when all these districts have essentially said, we can't cross the lines into another space, be it a government official, a police official, a resident, a volunteer. So you have to find ways to maintain order when everything is separate again. And that's that's a challenge. It's a logistics challenge and it's a policy challenge. So I think they're probably gonna be taking a lot of lessons away from this. They're gonna be iterating for the next round of this. And I hope they do because Look, we had five, six days of real anxiety and real challenge, but we've, we're pulling through it. And I'm, I'm pretty confident that even if we went into another series of lockdowns, be it a week or longer, that the logistics would now support and remove the anxiety of the residents around food, around medicine, around healthcare providers. And that would go a long way to making sure that People just feel confident that this process is something that they can weather through without high levels of anxiety, without starving, with all those things that you're seeing in the press. Um, so that's kind of where I see those things. We've just heard from my colleague Thomas Yao, who's in lockdown in the Pushi district, that Shanghai mm -hmm. is now split into three categories. But there seems to be no timeline or roadmap out of lockdown for Shanghai. And you tweeted sure. out some of your concerns about how this will affect um, China's economy. Can you take us yeah. through what you were thinking about this? Absolutely. So first off, there's, there's in effect really two layers right now. One is you're locked in your house fully. You're not allowed to leave your front door unless you're testing. 
um, or you're a volunteer in the community. And then the second one is that you're allowed to walk around your community itself. And there was a third one, which was you can go out to the street, but it seems like they've brought that back a little bit, or at least for most of the districts that I've been following, um, because obviously you have a, you have a real concern that cases are still very high, if not rising. And if people are out and about, um, you know, mingling with other communities, the, the, the risk of spread growing again, it's, it's real. And I think the government is very cognizant of that. And they're, they're really trying to, you know, show people that progress is being made, but they're, they're, it's, it's very difficult to communicate that and to communicate the complexity of this challenge and the decisions that they have to make, you know, they don't have any easy decisions to make. And so when it came to the tweet that I put out there, all that was just kind of thinking through the different layers and potential decision trees that they're going to have, because the risk of China going through a full COVID um, bloom right now or full crisis like, you know, I experienced in America in, 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 in 2020, that I don't believe that China's ready for that right now. They don't have the vaccines, particularly in the 80 and above category, at a level that I feel that they have the confidence. And if they don't have the confidence, and my belief is that that in, that essentially elevates the risk of version. So the risk of lockdowns comes in. Now, if you're locking down 10, 15, 20, multiple provincial capitals and everything around that, well, the economy is obviously going to suffer. First off, you have consumers who are at home. The only thing they can really get delivered is the basic essentials. They're not buying iPhones. They're not buying sneakers. They're not buying cars. They're not buying apartments. They're not supporting the consumer economy. Back that up a little bit, and we've seen some some recent announcements from Pegatron and others that they have to shut down factories in these affected areas. Well, we saw the, the, the news of Tesla shutting down very early on into this, and that was very clearly a containment part of, or part of the containment policy around COVID itself. Shanghai was being shut down, the factories are being locked down. And so there was a disruption there from the labor side. But what we saw yesterday and the day before around other factories, like namely Pegatron, They've been operating, or at least they say they've been operating up until yesterday or the day before. Well, that for me signals that the supply chain constraints around delivery of food, healthcare, and other, other essential services has disrupted their supply of parts or inbound or outbound. And so this is creating the second order of impact around the economy that I'm concerned with because you have multiple points of gravity here. You have the virus, which you cannot fight you know, gravity on, and you have the economy, which you cannot fight gravity on, but there's this interplay happening that just makes it more challenging. So what are their options and how will they traverse this? And that's where I come back to. I really believe that if they can learn the lessons of Shanghai, they will lessen the economic impacts that exist. And so if you can see future stories where cities are going through these same challenges, these same lockdowns, but without the logistics disruptions around food and healthcare and parts, they may be able to avert a lot of the economic damage that I put out there wondering if it was possible because I'm not predicting anything. I'm not saying anything is for sure. But when you look at these systems, it's pretty clear that there's only a few options left. And so it's just a matter of staying on track and trying to figure out what's actually happening and what adjustments are being made. Because as one of my friends in, he's a CEO of an electronics firm was telling me, you know, they have a Shenzhen warehouse, they have a Hong Kong warehouse, well, Shenzhen port's still pretty messy. Shanghai port's pretty messy. So they basically put it on a truck from Shenzhen to Zhuhai and then send it on a ferry over to Hong Kong to then get out. Well, you could do that for now. But if you're an American consumer who's trying to buy this electronic product, 
that becomes an inflationary story overseas. And that's where I think that in a month or in three months, the Western press will start to really maybe wake up to the crisis at hand, which is there's a huge human crisis happening right now. China's going to go through COVID. If it's not this time, it's going to be in the future at some point. We need to first minimize the human impact of that. You know, not only the, the rates of severe illness and death, but just the mental illness, all those issues that we've been talking about. But the second order is because China is such an important piece of the global supply chain. There's going to be a lot of concern by global leaders, uh, brands, and consumers around the cost of this to themselves. And it could be significant. I mean, we, we have already been watching that the U.S.'s P, uh, CPI went to 8.5%, but that is trailing China's PPI of about three to four months, which means U.S. still has another month or two of peak because China's PPI just peaked. So again, anything that could then elevate the PPI in China, the factory gate price, the cost of transportation, the difficulty in supply chain will equal disruptions, inflation for foreign consumers in any country around the world. And so that for me is kind of where I ended the tweet because I was, this is where I'm getting into it is, you know, I speak to a lot of foreign brands and to obviously my, my friends back in the States and in Europe about, you know, inflation a lot. And how does that track back to this virus? Well, it's a logistics problem at the end of the day, as much as it is a humanitarian issue. And for me, having been in China for 20 years, I fully appreciate the challenge that the leaders here face. They don't have any easy decisions. And so they're doing what you can see. They're really trying to iterate. They're really trying to learn. They're really trying to adapt to overcome these multiple challenges. And so that's where we are. As far as we know, there's a total of 250,000 cases reported in Shanghai since March. And most of them have been asymptomatic and there's only been one serious case of sickness. Do you think this yes. is going to be a factor in the debate over zero COVID and the economic impact of lockdowns? It already has been. And I've, I've actually been very interested around the communications that I've seen by the government directly through FABU, uh, their FABU account, but also what I see in newspapers and on from official accounts like the Shanghai Daily, the China Daily, you do see a debate happening between the medical establishment, but also those that are looking at the more macroeconomic perspective of this. And I think that's where a debate is being had. But again, the risk aversion of failure is still very high here. So they know what works. They know that lockdowns work. And they know that if they just can maintain patience through the lockdown, that they can bring the numbers down to something more tenable. Is that a future policy that I think will be successful or go unchanged? I don't believe so. I do believe that they're trying to find that balance between the economy and the virus, but they're not ready yet. Their vaccines aren't there. And even if they started vaccinating everyone today, you'd still need four to six weeks before people are you know, or you need you need four weeks before everyone's fully vaccinated with two shots. And you need another three to six months after that to have three shots, which is where they've shown that the Chinese vaccines actually are quite effective at three shots. So that's the challenge. And I do believe that there is an active debate. I do believe that a lot of the policymakers are trying to look at, wait a second, there's only one serious case and no reported deaths. Even if that number was understated by whatever factor, it's still... It's still a worthy debate, but they're not ready to act on that quite yet. To follow that up, I do think that they will change that. And I think we're already starting to see an announcement around that. There are pilot programs now, and I believe seven cities, Shenzhen, Shanghai included, 
Chengdu, I believe as well, where they're now reducing the amount of quarantine required and then improving or iterating the testing process. So one, I think there's a debate being had, but two, I think that debate is also translating into policies in the short term that will allow them more flexibility. But at the end of the day, the vaccines are the biggest tool that they have that they need to deploy to give them confidence to take risks on a different strategy. And for me, I think that we're starting to see that happening, not just debating, but acting. And that's a great sign. Richard, one last question. A couple of days ago, you tweeted that the four sounds you could hear each day in Shanghai were butts, <laughs> ambulances, garbage trucks, and people screaming. What did Shanghai yes. sound like this morning? Birds is still number one. Did not hear any ambulances. Heard a garbage truck. But the sound that I've been hearing more and more over the last two days, people walking down the street happy. And that makes me very jealous. It makes a lot of people very envious. But I will, you know, I actually, another tweet I said was when, when Shanghai is released, it will be like we won the World Cup. And I, I can tell you that when they made that first announcement, it, it was, God, it felt good. And people were so happy. You could see it on WeChat. You could like, people were celebrating that even though only half the city was allowed out, even though about half of them actually made it to the street before they, they closed the doors and said, only your community. It really helps. And there's a lot less yelling right now. There's a lot less anxiety. And I think that that it's progress. It's not finished. We're nowhere near through this, but to see those little things change, it, it certainly helps. And my big concern was that you'd hear more people screaming, but it's, it's changing. And I, I hope that that continues. Of course, we could go backwards, but I, I hope that we only go forwards. And I think that they're learning some really valuable lessons through this crisis. Richard Brubaker, thank you very much for your time. Thank you. That's all for this week's edition of Inside China. Don't forget, you can find Richard Brubaker on all the social media platforms, including Twitter. He's at Rich Brew Baker. Keep up to date with Thomas Yao's videos shot on the streets and by drones over Shanghai on Twitter. Just search Thomas Yao, Y-A-U-S-E-M-P, and you'll be able to find him. My name is Holly Chick. Stay safe, stay distant, but don't forget to stay in touch. Bye for now. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.